Welcome to the putback on SNY.TV. I'm Ian Begley, SNY's NBA insider, and we're going to be getting into all things Knicks and the NBA. In this show, we've got two great guests with us. CP, the franchise, Knicks fan TV. He needs no introduction. You surely know who he is. And then Brendan Brown, a uh, long time, almost three decades in the NBA as a scout analyst and a coach, and they're going to break things down for us here. But we're going to start with the baseline. Knicks, six games in nine days, four and two in that stretch. And they're coming off of a loss in Minnesota to end that trip. Brendan, they got they had a tough time in the third quarter after keeping it close in the first half. What did you see from them early in that second half that led to the result? Well, I, I think there's a, a setup to this situation. And we talked about it on the last podcast. Beginning of the season, Knicks played three games in four days in three different cities. This is hard to do. Like, fans underestimate it. And even though it was Washington and Charlotte, two relatively easy wins, to travel and play three games and four nights in three different cities is tough. Now, what happened in the third quarter? There was a lot of pace in the first and the second quarter of that game. You know, Knicks getting breaks, loose balls, Minnesota getting breaks, a lot going on. And did the Knicks use up a lot of energy at that point? so that when Anthony Edwards was a lot more motivated in the second half looking to score, it just looked like the Knicks were dead in the water. They weren't able to rotate to him, and he was able to you know, score some easy buckets, and that got them going that way. So, you know, you think about what happened on the road trip. The Knicks played a lot of great basketball, but maybe is this just a situation last night? Minnesota was just fantastic in that third quarter and made a lot of, you know, tough shots and then made threes later. Yeah, all in all, I would think a pretty good road trip. Right now, we're going to go to our social media correspondent, Matt Spenley. Matt has a question for us. I am at JFK. I'm on my way to Aruba, but I never miss an episode of the putback. Here's my thing. The Knicks are exactly what we thought they were going to be going into the year. They were top 10 in offensive rating. They're fifth in defensive rating. They're sixth in net rating. Aren't they exactly what we thought they were going to be? Give me a temperature check on how we're feeling about the Knicks at this point of the season. Well, Matt looked great. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I cannot hear what he was saying, but he you, you noticed, I'm sure, he was uh, in the garden there, and he was probably asking us something about, I would venture to guess, uh, Julius Randle. So let's go with Julius, uh, Brendan, and CP, because basically how I look at him is – Rough start to the season. He came into the year wanting to play more efficient. I thought he'd done that, you know, over this road trip, notwithstanding Minnesota. But I, I thought he'd kind of started to get into his own there, get into a groove. CP, what what do you make of Julius so far? Yeah, I think d despite a lackluster outing against Minnesota, if you look at the road trip in its totality, I thought Julius Randle played very well for the Knicks, especially as a playmaker. I mean, you had three games in a row where he had eight assists in a game. You had two five-assist games, and so that's what you're going to need from Julius Randle. Obviously, scoring is going to be needed from him as well, but he's got to be a dynamic playmaker for the Knicks, play into the double teams, make the proper reads, and make his teammates better, and I thought he did a good job of doing that over the the, the six-game span. Brendan, what did you see from Julius? 
I think when, and you're a Nick fan or, you know, following or covering the team, when you look at Randall early in the game, first six, seven minutes, is he quick and confident about what he's doing? Or is he holding the ball? It's kind of like facing the basket. Sometimes he passes, he cuts, you know, he makes quicker decisions on his threes, and then he's going to be in the groove of the game. And then there are other nights where he's got his back to the basket or three-quarters back to the basket. And I think that's where a lot of the problems come. And last night was just a major league up front, you know, big challenge between Gobert Towns, Mitch, and Julius Randle. And I think that all four of them competed well. But Julius just had that look last night, unfortunately, uh, where he was a little out of sorts on some of his drives to the basket. I agree with CP. I think that, you know, some of the stuff you saw on the trip out of he and Brunson getting big assist numbers, you know, that's something good. But Randall is still at 37 and 27. And if you take six threes a game and you're at 27, Something's got to change. You got to stop taking less threes. You got to start making them. All right. So we uh, we're eventually going to go back to Matt Spenley, but first off, we're going to talk about that four and two stretch, six games in nine days. Brendan, you mentioned you know the, the onus that the travel puts on teams. Uh, how do you see the Knicks coming out of this thing and where they sit now? Listen, you know, they have a winning record on the road. And I don't care who you play in the NBA. If you win on the road, it's a win on the road. That's going to be very important. If you look at the top six or who's going to come in the top six of the East and then, like, what order they're going to come in, you got to go, like, 15 and 15 against the West. And then you got to win, like, two-thirds of your games inside the conference. So beating Washington and Charlotte is important. And then to see some guys like DiVincenzo – pick up the offense, which the Knicks need. The Knicks need it every night. And you can see when you play a Boston or a Minnesota, two very good defensive teams in their building, you know, how many different guys can you get it from? And some of that last week was good, but it's a little bit of a caution factor here with if you're going to play a good defensive team that's going to really give Brunson a hard time in the paint, who else is going to score and how the, are the Knicks going to score enough to beat good teams? I mean, they're rebounding great. They're defending pretty well. So it's coming back to the offense, which is going in the right direction. But you just can't play a, a good team with a good plan for Brunson and then things fall apart. Yeah, and, and and like Brendan was saying, I mean, you look at last night's loss against Minnesota. He had uh, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel quickly combined for about like 14 for 43 from the field. And so uh, give credit to the Timberwolves. They are a very tough and, and stout defensive team, a lot of length, a lot of wingspan, uh, and I think that also gives the Knicks trouble. And so as you're saying, uh, Brunson certainly needs help on those nights. But if, if you look at the, this stretch, by and large, they took care of business. They beat the teams that they should have beaten. And when it comes to Boston and it comes to Minnesota, it just seems like the Knicks are just not quite there yet. But it's still very early in the season. We haven't even reached the quarter season mark. It's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. But so far, we have Julius and Jalen getting back on track. The Knicks' defense has been fairly good. You have Mitchell Robinson rebounding at a ridiculous rate. And then the three-point accuracy. The major mark that Tom Thibodeau is keeping an eye on, it's one that I'm keeping an eye on this season. Through that stretch, they've shot the three ball at about 40%. 
You have Jalen Brunson, R.J. Barrett leading that charge, IQ, and then Dante DiVincenzo. The reason they brought him in here was to help in that regard as well. So I think that's an area that uh, we, we can keep taking a look at, but so far, so good. Yeah, I think you look big picture. This team has beaten the teams you would expect them to beat through a tough schedule. Uh, they haven't beat Boston yet. They, they lost to Minnesota, so you could also say they haven't beaten the teams maybe ahead of them in the moment. Uh, and I think just in a general sense, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but that's something that I'll keep an eye on because big picture, you know, this group, they know they need to take a step forward from last year. Uh, what exactly that looks like, I can't tell you, but I would assume it's getting back to the second round and being competitive against a Milwaukee or a Boston in that second round series. Plenty of basketball to be played uh, to get there. But I just think big picture sense, you've got to be competitive. You've got to take down some of those teams ahead of you eventually. Now, somebody who has been thriving uh, for the Knicks on the court, Jalen Brunson, Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Numbers ridiculous. You can see there, particularly that three-point field goal percentage, 54% from beyond the arc. Brendan, for you, when you look at Jalen uh, what part of his game is standing out to you over this recent stretch? I, th I think there are two layers to it. Number one, if you play a poor defensive team, and the Knicks have seen a handful of those in the last two weeks, he shreds it. You know, they run continuity to set the ball up in his hands, get to the paint, and whether he's going to score or create a lot more assists, 6.5 on the week is great. You know, he's just going to shred that. And then quickly when he comes in, if you don't have a good defensive plan for him, he's going to shred it and get it into the paint. And then the Knicks are just going to get all kinds of shots. The one shot that he continues to make, Brunson, over and over and over again, whether he's in isolation or whether he gets a pick and roll to get there, inside to out, to that right arc spot. And it's just beautiful to watch. Like, he makes those so easy. It's like he's shooting a layup or a free throw. The net doesn't even move. And he's just on fire from that exact spot. It seems like because he's lefty, lefty going to right. A lot of guys shoot better going the other way. He's in such a great rhythm that way. And the one thing I really liked, he got a key assist to Randall in that Atlanta game late. And that's something that I think he can do a little bit more of because he garners a lot of attention. Yeah it's, yeah, it's amazing. Don't take Jalen Brunson for granted, I think, is is what I would say, just because we, we've we seen him play at this level for a year and change now. Uh, but that, that doesn't mean that you can kind of uh, look past it. It is special what he's doing. He plays such an important role on this team. We could talk about the future. We could talk about what's gone wrong in the past. But the Knicks certainly got this signing right in Jalen Brunson. And CP, when you look at his past week when he won Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Was there a game that stood out to you? Was there a sequence that stood out to you where you said, wow, he is he is playing really well right now? Yeah, he's been great during that stretch, and, and he's certainly back after having a slow start to the season where it just seemed like he just wasn't really hitting the shots that he would normally make. But I would have to say the the most recent win against Charlotte in Charlotte, 32.7 assists, shot 57% from the field and 50 from three. He was just electric. And the way that he's able to just step into those three-point shots, whether it's in, in isolation or off of some of the double pick and rolls that the Knicks are, are uh, setting for him, uh, Jalen Brunson is back, no question about it. And as Brendan said, I, I love that that two-man game that he had with Julius Randle, especially in, in Atlanta, where he found Julius Randle cutting 
uh, down the middle. Jalen Brunson running baseline found Julius Randle for an important score. I'd like to see those two guys playing off of each other a little bit more. Like, is there, we just talked about Julius Randle's inefficiency, even though he's playing better. I'm wondering if a two man game with Brunson and Randle, them playing off of each other, does that get uh, Randle some more shots in rhythm? And then maybe that gets him going as the game progresses. Yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. We are so happy to announce that we are now in podcast form. The Putback is is a podcast now, and you can get it wherever you download your podcasts. So be sure to check us out uh, in that medium, especially if you're trying to see my face, you can just listen to us, and it's maybe a bit easier on you. Come on, now we're gonna we're going we're gonna to transition here to the shooting guard position for the Knicks because Quentin Grimes missed a couple games with a wrist injury. Dante DiVincenzo comes into the starting lineup, plays pretty well. And so there's a there's going to be a discussion or there's a discussion about always who starts, who comes off the bench, who finishes with this team. And when you have a player who comes in and subs for an injured player and plays well, you know, the discussion is just going to be there. It's just the, uh, the nature of the beast. I can't see Tom Thibodeau changing his lineup, changing his rotation in a major way uh, based on what DiVincenzo did uh, in last week during Grimes' absence. Can't see it. Uh, I would. I think he's going to stick with Grimes through thick and thin because of how that lineup played last year. I mean, let's be honest. Essentially, saved Tom Thibodeau's job the way that lineup went. He made a major change in uh, taking Derrick Rose, Evan Fournier out of the lineup, Quentin Grimes starting, and they took off. And so, I don't think he's going to go away from that unless something drastic happens. Uh, Brendan, how do you see Divincenzo, potential starter off the bench? How do you view him? I think before this season, you're kind of wondering, Tom Thibodeau has so many different options at one, two, and three with the guys on the perimeter and why you would use different combinations on different nights. But I sort of feel that Grimes isn't doing a heck of a lot in his minutes right now. You know he has the hardest matchup defensively. Okay, so what happened in the third quarter last night, Anthony Edwards gets rolling He's a great player. It's going to happen. But he's had other good nights where he's defended well against good, you know, or great offensive options. The issue with the whole situation with him is what else are you getting from him? His shooting right now is okay. We talk about GHD. That's Grimes, Hart, and DiVincenzo. Who's doing it there? Well, last night, unfortunately, everyone had a poor game. Four for 22, one for the game from three out of the three guys. But, you know, over the course of the week, DiVincenzo's definitely trending up. So if you're really looking at it, do you want DiVincenzo in the starting lineup potentially for Grimes? We know that Grimes has had injuries, and and that was a very odd one that he had in Atlanta. But I, I think Tom Thibodeau can look at it and say, yeah, maybe I do want to change it around. But then how would you have how would it affect the bench? And the bench scoring. Maybe he wants Steven Chenzo still in the bench scoring. The last two years, the Knicks have been 23rd in bench scoring, 26th in bench scoring. It showed up in the Miami series in the playoffs. Right now, they're in the middle of the league because quickly he's doing so well and Hartenstein's doing well. But who else could be consistent off that bench? 
Every year, Ian, there, there's a topic that turns Knicks fans into the Hatfields and McCoys. So this year is no different. Now it's it's the Grimes and DiVincenzo debate. And make no mistake, DiVincenzo has played well in his starts for Quentin Grimes. He has the chemistry with Jalen Brunson. They play very well together, and he's certainly on an uptick. And with DiVincenzo, he has the experience. He's played for championship teams. He's played for championship coaches. He's more decisive when he has the ball in his hands. And so there's a lot to like there. But with Quentin Grimes, I'm going to preach patience here, Ian. Time and time again, the NBA has shown us that this is a marathon. It's not a sprint, whether it's with the way teams play or how players play. Let's give Quinton Grimes in year three um, some more time to get it together. His defense, we know, is going to be very vital to this backcourt. You hope that he he picks it up from a three-point shooting standpoint. Last night against the Timberwolves was not a strong suit for him. It was a dreadful game for him. But let's give him time to shake through this slump. It's still very early through the season, and he has time to get through it. Uh, another thing is that what Tom Thibodeau has showed you, as Brendan has said, is that he will still go to Emmanuel Quickly or DiVincenzo or Josh Hart in crunch time or in meaningful minutes during games if Quentin Grimes doesn't have it. So I think the Knicks should be embracing the depth that they have at the guard rotation right now. Guys have been injured from Grimes to RJ, and so guys are stepping up. And so embrace it. But as the season progresses, as you step into the playoffs – you, you are going to need some sharpshooters next to Jalen Brunson. The teams have to respect the Knicks shooting from the outside. And so if Grimes doesn't have it, by the time you get deep into the season of the playoffs, then I think Tibbs will need to look to make a change. And Ian, yeah, real I, quick, like Grimes uh, right now 39 and 36. Okay, a little low. That's all right. He's only shot one or two free throws in the entire season. He's only getting one rebound and one assist a game right now in his minutes. So – Something has to pick up a little bit there, but let's see. Like CP says, you know, you got seven games coming up where they can roll off a bunch of wins and Ken Grimes get going. Yeah, it's you need Grimes to hit shots, but I think you're based on who he is as a player, uh, his talent as a shooter, it's going to come through eventually. Uh, he's going to play to the back of his basketball card, so to speak. Those shots are going to come. Uh, but as we we continue to look at Grimes, we're also going to take a look at some stars. Yes, we are going stargazing here on the putback. Obviously, Knicks playing the Timberwolves last night. That leads us to the obvious topic, Carl Anthony Towns to the Knicks. It's something that seems to be talked about every year. Uh, I think there's more smoke there, you know, in this past year than there has been previously. But let's let's start here. You know, we saw him face the Knicks last night. In a hypothetical world, Brendan Brown, how would Carl Anthony Towns fit on this Knicks team? I think it's interesting, and while we talked about it last night, like from year one, year two, Gobert and Towns, how is it working? How is it now working better? And so he's playing as a true four. And if you go back in the annals of time with the Knicks, Patrick Ewing was tried at the four, and that did not work out because he didn't want to do it. And then he became a great jump shooting five. So what is Carl Anthony Towns? Well, you saw in the game last night, his jump shot is pure from the mid-range, from three-point. He feels very comfortable in a face-up situation. He can still post. So if he were coming to the Knicks, who would be going there uh, in a trade scenario and then – where would you play him? And I think he could play at the four. I think he could play at the five. But, like, the way they're using him now, 
Gobert is a more of a cutter as a five-man away from the ball. I think he has enough space. He has a great game with the handle. And you're looking at him being more of a power forward who can also play five. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Obviously, you you hypothetically fit players into the current roster. Obviously, the roster would change if they acquired a player like Carl Anthony Towns. And CP, where are you on that, his potential fit? Yeah, there's no question Carl Anthony Towns is, is an elite offensive weapon at, at the four spot. I think he and Jalen Brunson would play very well together. Uh, an excellent shooter at all three levels. It gave you some some floor spacing. And this year for the Timberwolves, he's, he's, he's playing defense very well for them as well. I mean, the number one ranked defense in the NBA, you've got to give Carl Anthony Towns some credit there. Uh, but the question becomes... Who are the Knicks trading trading for Carl Anthony Towns? I, I don't think a, a Towns and Julius Randle front court is going to work for the Knicks defensively. So you're talking about maybe trading uh, Mitchell Robinson, among others, because Carl Anthony Towns' contract is, is enormous. So I, I just don't see it making sense for the Knicks in terms of who they potentially have to give up. I don't necessarily see the Knicks pivoting and trading Julius Randle in a package for for Carl Anthony Towns. And then the question also becomes, is is Carl Anthony Towns a guy that's going to help move the needle for the Knicks? He can certainly help. And I think the the, uh, starting five with Brunson and depending on who else you have there could work. But I just don't see that pushing the needle forward for the Knicks. He's got a good chance this year with the way this Minnesota Timberwolves team is playing to quiet the naysayers and show that, hey, he, he can be a, a guy that can move things forward for a team. But uh, I just don't see it here with the Knicks. Yeah, a couple of notes here. I mean, we talked about it in the offseason. I, I think that if the Knicks strongly wanted Carl Anthony Towns in the offseason, they could have traded for him. They could have made a deal happen. Um, has their thinking changed on him to this point? I don't know that. But I do know that, you know, somebody in touch with members of the organization, they felt earlier this year that the Knicks had a Embiid first, Towns second hierarchy when you're talking about potential trades. Um, So that's just something to keep an eye on. And the other piece of this is who would go. Well, I do know that, you know, as recently as before the start of the regular season, uh, some people with the Knicks in their discussions with other teams were bringing up players like, R.J. Barrett or Mitchell Robinson, as we had reported on the holiday talks with Portland. So I don't think that anybody is off limits when it comes to a trade of this magnitude. Uh, But speaking of Robinson, Brendan Brown, I mean, he's been, in my mind, the most valuable Nick to this point. Uh, But what what is making him so proficient right now on the offensive glass? I think when you trace his career and his rookie year team was not a good team. And I used to yell Emrod every single time he either dunked or blocked a shot because he's one of the only interesting players, unfortunately, on that roster. But tracing it to now, if you go to the Atlanta game where he dominated the paint, not only on the offensive glass, but also on the defensive glass, and his physical strength this year seems to be a step or two up than what we've seen over the years. Now, here's a little unknown fact about him. Everyone's always concerned about his foul trouble. He has never been in foul trouble with Tom Thibodeau. Okay, he hasn't. Go look it up with the numbers. His first year playing for Tom did not foul out of a game. The next year, four disqualifications. The next year, four disqualifications. None this year. Right now, he's averaging a foul every 15 minutes. 
So what everyone was always absorbed about, oh, he's always in foul trouble. No, under Tom Thibodeau, he has not been in foul trouble. He's fouled out of eight games in four years. I, I, I worked with an older assistant. He said, you're not in foul trouble until you have six. All right, well, going by that, Mitchell Robinson, he's on the floor. And what he did in Atlanta and that key play where he dove, got the offensive rebound after quickly had rung off five points, somehow did not go out of bounds, did not go out of bounds somehow, and kicked it out, and then Brunson makes the three. Hey, that's the game. That 8-0 run right there turned it right back around, and then the Knicks executed well down the stretch. So is he getting a lot of blocks? No, but he's getting a ton of steals, as is Hartenstein. So give them a lot of credit, you know, patrolling the paint. He's going to be a good shot contester. But getting more defensive rebounds on big nights, it's been wild. Brendan Brown here to dispel unfair narratives left and right on the putback and CP. Another narrative here is Zach Levine and Chicago, potentially their marriage coming to an end here. There's been a lot of reports about, particularly from the athletic, about, you know, uh, dissatisfaction on both sides. What do you think of his potential fit with the Knicks? Is he the guy that you want to see New York go all in on? No, no, definitely, definitely not an, an all-in move. Another guy with a high contract who you're not only going to have to put salary in the deal, but potentially a young player and draft capital as well. I just don't see Zach Levine as a needle mover for the Knicks. He's a guy, a, a prolific scorer, no question about it, but he's a guy, I put him in the same bucket as I put a Julius Randle, Carl Anthony Towns, like guys that are not guys that you can build a team around but in the proper situation, he can certainly help a team. And so I look at Philadelphia as being a good fit for him. I look at the Lakers, you know, clutch sports headquarters as a perfect fit for him to take some some uh, of the, the responsibility off of LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis. But with the Knicks, especially in the backcourt there with, with Jalen Brunson, uh, I don't think that works defensively. It, the next big trade for the Knicks has to be a guy that can be uh, a two-way force, somebody that can help play make on one end, making his teammates better, and, and be a good to elite defender on the other side. Yeah, you know, I think, my wild card in this whole thing is Golden State on Zach Levine. And I would even put a team like OKC, depending on where they feel they are in their timeline, um, how much they want to win and show Shea Gilgis-Alexander that they're ready to win. I wouldn't be totally surprised if they got in the mix either. I can't see the Knicks getting in the mix, uh, CP, for the reasons you stated. Uh, defensively, the backcourt just wouldn't be where – Tom Thibodeau would need it to be. And they had a chance to go after him at the trade deadline. There wasn't much there then. They had the opportunity to go back after Zach Levine. Prior to the draft, nothing significant happened there either. So I think that tells you a little bit about how they feel about going all in on a player like Levine. Things can change. Uh, things change every minute in the NBA. But just based on that and how they approached it in the past, I can't see there being a strong interest internally on Zach Levine. But let's go now, Brendan, R.J. Barrett, uh, you know, the migraines, I, you've been around the game forever. So when you look at a player and you see he's having migraines, but then he's out for kind of more than an ex, a little bit of an extended period, how much of a concern is that? Is that something that lingers? Is that something that the Knicks or Knicks fans should be worried about? I only have a little bit of experience or trying to understand that. Um 
Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when he played with Milwaukee when he was Lulau Cinder and then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He was a big migraine guy. And it, at the time, I guess in the 70s, you know, moving into the 80s, it was something that was untalked about, except that it was hard to treat, hard to figure out. And it's something he dealt with his entire career. Uh, when I coached in Memphis, Jason Williams infrequently, but frequently enough, he dealt with this. And now the technology is a little bit different, but there's not a ton you can do in these situations. So I was a little disheartened that RJ kept missing games, but with my familiarity with it, which is not a lot, um, I can understand how that happens. And he talked about his balance or he talked about, you know, light and dark and different stuff. Like it's a really tricky situation. You know, guys get core injuries, takes forever for those to heal, but you know what you're dealing with. Something like migraine is very unusual to deal with. And it's a little bit of a bummer, of course, because RJ was off to such a good start shooting the basketball. And now he's trying to get back into rhythm and got in foul trouble last night. But that's a very serious situation. It's like concussion protocol in other sports, you know, like where's the baseline and how do you try to figure it out? Yeah, certainly a lot of gray area there. Um, CP, very early on, right? But you look at the standings right now, you see Orlando, you see Indiana, ahead of the Knicks. You think either of those teams, what they're doing is sustainable over the course of the season? Should the Knicks be concerned about either of those teams being near them or ahead of them as we get to March and April? Yeah, I, I'm going to go with the team with the stability at the point guard and, and playing an electric basketball right now. It's Tyrese Halliburton, 24 points per game, 11 assists. I think the Indiana Pacers are legit top six playoff team right now with the way their offense is clicking. I think they could be what Sacramento was last year in the West. I think Indiana could be that in the East, especially with the way that Halliburton is orchestrating that offense. His his shooting numbers has improved. His shooting accuracy has improved. And he's just playmaking at such a, a prolific level. As long as they stay healthy with the weapons that they have and the bench, the athleticism, the pace at which they play, I think they they have enough to win enough games where they, they can be legit top six. So I'm going to go with them to be one of the big threats to the Knicks as this season progresses. Well, team, we haven't mentioned the Toronto Raptors. A uh, bit of a, a issue between the Raptors and the Knicks right now. Uh, lawsuit filed by the Knicks against the Raptors, alleging the theft of intellectual property, among other things. Knicks lawyers filing a motion uh, trying to convince the judge that this thing should not be decided by Adam Silver, their issue with the Raptors. Raptors have, I believe, a couple weeks to respond. So we'll see where that thing goes. We'll see uh, what decision the judge ultimately makes. Knicks seeking more than $10 million in damages from Toronto as a result of the alleged theft of property. But, Brendan, just going back to the East for a second, where do you see the biggest threat among these teams that maybe weren't didn't have a great year last year, but they're, they're looking better this year? Where do you see the biggest threat in terms of where the Knicks want to be, that real estate three, four, five in the East? I think right now, number one, if you look at the standings this morning – that might be the 10 teams that are in the 10 teams in the play in, in the playoffs. So now it's like it, it, that in Toronto is 11, and that's the only team outside of it that I could see moving up right now. 
Now, what order are they going to come in? Well, for the Knicks, right now they're two games out of the three seed. They're about to play two home games against Phoenix and Miami that they can win if they play well. And then they got five in a row where they should be favored in every game. So in like two weeks, if we all come back together, you can be talking about the Knicks as the three seed. Now, Indiana and Orlando are interesting. Which way do you want to bet your money? You know, Indiana, look at it like great offense, CP hit on it. If Hal Burton's around every night, you got to think they have a good chance to win. They have a lot of good young players that can run and play that tempo. Orlando, okay, they have a very good defense. And they're kind of like Knicks JV a little bit with uh, Wagner and Bancaro in the terms of isolations and trying to do things one-on-one like Brunson and Randall. But they can struggle to score at times. Cole Anthony's a real big player for them. So do you want to take the defensive team or the offensive team? I think they're definitely in the top 10. Indiana probably a little bit ahead of Orlando because of the firepower. Uh, But they're both legit teams. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's look ahead now. Black Friday, excuse me, Uh, Jets, Dolphins, not the only New York, Miami game going on Black Friday. We also have Knicks Heat CP. First time these teams are playing each other since the Knicks lost in the second round to Miami. Uh, How do you look at this game and and what what do you think the Knicks need to do well in order to come out with a W? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, play the tape from the elimination game in which they were eliminated by the, the by the Miami Heat and and unable to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. Play that game tape. Uh, the way Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett were bricking away, and, and Jalen Brunson's untimely uh, mistake near there near the end of the game that that's got to sting a little bit. So, and also their in season tournament. Hopes, I think, could be on the line in this game, Ian. I mean, they lose this game. They may not be able to claw back in terms of the standings and group play. So this is a very important game. But for the Knicks, it, it's continued to play their game. Julius and Jalen, you want to see them leading the way. Mitchell Robinson being able to, uh, against Bam Adebayo, that's going to be a tough matchup in, in terms of Mitch being on the boards and getting the Knicks second-chance opportunities. You want to see the Knicks being able to take care of the ball. That's one area where they're still needing – to be to improve on especially the way that they were able to take care of the ball last year against Miami defense you have to be careful because Miami is playing very well and hopefully you can capitalize on you know if if Tyler Hero is not playing in this game Miami's going to have to lean a little bit more on their depth to provide some offensive production hopefully the Knicks can kind of capitalize on that get some solid bench play and, and come away with the win I think some Knicks fans still have PTSD from Kyle Lowry carving them up in the pick and roll in that series. If you see that on Friday, it's going to be maybe a tough night for New York, but that's going to do it for us. If you missed anything live, be sure to check us out in podcast form. We are now a podcast. So you can download us wherever you download your podcast. Be sure to check us out there. Uh, CP, we greatly appreciate your time and your insights. Obviously, check out Knicks Fan TV. Every night after games and regularly throughout the season, Brendan Brown dispelling narratives, giving us great X's and O's and opinion. We appreciate your insight as well, my friend. We will be back. The putback will be back Monday at noon. So be sure to check us out then. And we look forward to talking Knicks and the NBA with you throughout this season.